Welcome to the Continued Learning Podcast. My name is Dr. Fawn Carson and I'm Senior Managing Editor at OccupationalTherapy.com. Today's podcast features our host, Dr. Dennis Cleary, discussing use of simulation in graduate OT coursework and as a Level 1 Fieldwork Experience podcast with our guest, Dr. Sarah Zimmerman. Here are the learning outcomes for this course. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I'm joined uh, by Dr. Sarah Zimmerman from uh, St. Louis University. So, Sarah, thanks for being with us. And could you just tell us a little bit about your background and what your role is at, uh, do we say SLU? Or do we say St. Louis University each We time? can go with SLU. Okay, we'll just go with St. Louis University gets a little long. So let's go yes, with SLU. All right, Absolutely. Yeah, so thanks, Dennis. So yeah, so I, my name is Sarah Zimmerman. I am a, an assistant professor at St. Louis University. And I teach in their undergraduate occupational science and their graduate level um, occupational therapy program. Um, my background is I had 20 years in practice as an ocu- pediatric occupational therapist, and I loved that. And then I started helping and assisting, adjuncting with at the university, and I loved teaching the college students all of my knowledge. So I went back and I got my doctorate, and um, with my goal to be to teach at, at SLU, and I have been working there full time since the fall of 2019. So I started right right before COVID. And then really the majority of my teaching has been during COVID. And if you can start really teaching during COVID, you can kind of do anything is what I've decided. Absolutely. That was actually when I stopped my teaching was during COVID. So, you know, it's uh, COVID has had a apparently an effect on our culture. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but um, so can you tell us a little bit about you've, you've had some background in, in simulation and, um, just to how that has gone and, and maybe just a little bit about the context of, of SLU in terms of, is it in a large university, small university, just so if there are students or faculty that are listening, they can understand kind of what the context of SLU would be. Absolutely. So SLU is a Jesuit university in St. Louis with a strong mission to be people for others. So we have a large healthcare program there. And so our OT program sits on the medical campus and in the Doisy College of Health Sciences. And so we align a lot with speech therapy, physical therapy, physician's assistant, all that type of thing, which adds for a lot of intercollaboration there. Our students take a lot of interprofessional education with our nursing students and our phys- our pre-med students and our o- our PT and speech path in a collaborative manner. So that's kind of where it sits. It also makes it really easy to collaborate with, uh, particularly in my program, Mm -hmm. we collaborate with speech language pathology and physical therapy. Gotcha. Great. And then in terms of that intercollaboration makes, in some ways, simulation a little bit easier, I think, in terms of either live simulation or or video-based simulation. We're going to be talking today a lot about um, about video simulation. So do you want to talk a little bit about how, like what types of simulation that you have um, at SLU and the, the opportunities that students have there? Actually, absolutely. So we've always incorporated a lot of that hands-on simulation in with, you know, live patients and with case studies and with various problem-based learning and all those types of things. And um, we, we had explored a little bit of kind of the virtual-based simulation, but as we know, COVID kind of 
turned everything upside down. And when COVID came on, we we really were challenged with this situation with how do we teach critical thinking and problem solving and critical reasoning to our students when not only can they not be with live patients or not be in a clinic setting or not be together, but they're not even in a classroom with us, right? Everybody is, you know, on their own bed learning these things. So how do we do that? So we really started looking at video simulation really as a necessity when COVID came down hard. How do we how do we promote these skills for our students? Speech language pathology program at SLU had been using um, the virtual simulation for a long time and had really spoken really positive of it. But sometimes you need a really major change to force you to look at your best practices and look at what really works for students. And so that was kind of what COVID did for us. They had been using SimuCase, they, and so we decided to use that, give that a, a give that a try within our program for our students. Gotcha. And I think in the disclosure, um, occupationaltherapy.com and Simucase are in the same family of companies. Um, so we might be talking about Simucase, but what we're talking about has relevance with all different types of video simulation. I, I'm old. Uh, and so I was, I taught for a long time. And um, so I remember back in the days when you would go to YouTube and you would try to find something that uh, was close to something that you wanted to have a student see and you would you would find that link and then you'd go back the next year um, and the link wouldn't be there anymore. So I don't know, Sarah, if you had any experience with some of that, the hunting and pecking and trying to find, you know, resources that were out there on YouTube or other platforms uh, to try to, to figure out how to show some of this stuff. I think it's only gotten worse with so many more people on social media and pushing out things. And you go to YouTube, you can find a million things, but they might all be terrible. There's so many terrible things out there. So some of the video simulation programs, you know, you can kind of screen them and they find exactly what you want, right? I could find on YouTube a, a video of a child with autism, but with some of these video simulation, I can really find someone with autism who is having, you know, a particular assessment completed on them or working on a particular skill. And so then we can incorporate that into our class. So that is, it's actually been fantastic to have such a plethora of quality videos to choose from. So could you explain to people that haven't really seen a video simulation, what, what's entailed in it? What is, is, are there, um, is there kind of a, a case study background that, that students read or how to, how did they, students get introduced to it and, and what is what is that experience both for the, the student side and then also for the faculty side? Absolutely. So we, there's a, a multitude of different ways that you could use SimuCase. So I'll talk about how I specifically use it in my pediatric coursework. So part of that how we use it is we use it as case studies that we do as a group in class. So for example, if I'm teaching how do we work on activities of daily living with children, we can watch a clear video of a therapist working on, you know, hair combing with a little girl with autism. And we can talk about all those interventions that we know of, such as, you know, backward chaining and behavior management. And we can look at it, how the therapist use it, how she shapes behavior, how she promotes that occupation. And the students can do all the clinical reasoning with ourselves in a group within class. Then I can take it to the next step. And I can send them home and say, all right, you need to watch this case with this different student who's working on a different ADL, and you need to do the clinical reasoning on your own. So kind of scaffold that. That's one way we, we use it. They also have, um, there's also really nice simulations that the students can do on their own. So for example, if I want a student to 
if I have introduced the Peabody Motor Developmental Scales in class, and then we've gone to lab and we have worked in lab with the materials and done all the assessment, then they can go on and actually do the Peabody with a child, right? So they go on and it has all the background information. It has the, the occupational profile, you know, what is the history of this child? What other services do they receive? Here are all the notes. And then they actually go on with the parent, which is amazing. And they have to pick out what questions would be appropriate to ask the parent. And it gives immediate feedback. If they pick the wrong question, if they pick the wrong question, that parent goes, I don't know why you're asking me that. Like immediate feedback. That question was not appropriate <laughs> to ask, right? Sweet. It is. It's great. And so then they have to go through that. And then they watch little clips of the of the, the child doing the Peabody. So what, you know, the stacking of the blocks or the stringing, and then they actually have to score it. And it gives them immediate feedback of if they scored it right or not. And then after they score it, they have to interpret it. So it gives them that opportunity to take what they've learned in class and apply it in a very hands-on way with, with, and with immediate feedback. And so it's great for the students to learn that. And then after they go through the whole process, then we debrief it. So we discuss you know, what was easy, what was hard, how did you approach this task? It also gives me feedback as a professor if, if everybody is missing, is asking the incorrect questions to the parent. That gives me feedback. Well, obviously, we need to talk about interviewing skills and what is appropriate and how do we develop an occupational profile in a, in a, in a more powerful way since that's an area that was missing a lot. So, and, and that's just one example. There's um, so many different assessments to choose from or interventions to choose from across practice areas. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just head over to occupationaltherapy.com and sign up to start earning the CEUs you need online. You'll get unlimited access to hundreds of courses, including live webinars, on-demand videos, and text courses, and the audio courses you love for just $99 per year. And if you sign up today, you'll get 13 months of unlimited CEU access for the price of 12. This is an exclusive offer for our listeners, so don't wait. Go to occupationaltherapy.com and use promo code PODCAST and get 13 months for just $99. Join thousands of your colleagues who are already earning their CEUs online with OccupationalTherapy.com, an AOTA-approved provider of continuing education, and an NBCOT professional development provider. And don't forget to use promo code PODCAST at checkout to get your free bonus month. Once again, that's OccupationalTherapy.com, promo code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get started today. Gotcha. So um, I don't know how you were taught to do a Peabody, but I think I was sent home with a partial kit that was missing, you know, half the pieces uh, and then, you know, tried to find a nephew or a niece or someone that you kind of tried to do it with. Um, and so, you know, every every student in the classroom had a very different experience. Um, and uh, that sounds like a little bit better way to um, to really learn how to do an assessment. It is, it's been, it's been mine. There's so many assessments in pediatrics and there's so many variables in pediatrics. So it's been a really positive way for them to do it. And, you know, you can do it. Our students prior to this, they did it on their, you know, classmate who was trying to pretend to be a four-year-old, but it's not the same. It's not the same as having this child that's like actively running away from the table while you're watching the video and seeing how the therapist redirects and when they move on and things like that. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I, maybe I'd be a much better therapist now if I had exposure to that. Uh, back when, when I was uh, in school so many, so many years ago, 
Um, so you've talked about SimuCase. How does that fit in with some of the other simulations uh, that you use? Um, so do you have like a uh, like actors that you that you bring in and you you have you know case studies that you're doing with with other types of disciplines? Um, is it kind of a you know developmental progression that you start with SimuCase, then you go to a live situation, or how do you use it in your classroom or in the in the context of your larger curriculum at SLU? So within our larger curriculum, we kind of have always done kind of a variety of things with, you know, the live actors or things like that. Um, also, the you know, problem-based learning and the case studies, which is all, all, all great. I think the biggest thing with this virtual is they are actual patients, right? So this is an actual child who's two with autism going through it or, um, you know, an adolescent working with AAC use or these are actual people getting therapy. And that is hard to replace. It's hard to simulate. We can have people act all day or things like that, but having the actual person and an actual therapist and for them to see that is really nice. Prior prior to using um, video simulation, the only way that they could get that was when we had them out on level ones and level two clinicals and out in the clinic space. And there's a lot of barriers to getting out into the clinical space, which we'll be talking about. So this has really enhanced our students' abilities and really enhanced their skill level, right? And their confidence. Going back to the example of the Peabody, if they have, you know, learned the Peabody in class and worked with the materials in lab and then done an, done an assessment virtually, actively scoring the things and actively observing and pulling it together into a report, then when they go out onto a field, a field work or, or in a clinic and do the Peabody, they feel a lot more confident. Or since in the clinical settings, we don't always have control over what they actually get to do. I, as a therapist, know, all right, you've actually done that assessment, even if you go out on clinical and you don't get that experience ever again. Right. And we used to sell um, back when I was an academic fieldwork coordinator that everyone had different experiences and we brought those together and we learned from each other, which is true. But, you know, then, you know, the person that got to see, you know, six assessments compared to the person that saw one six times, you know, it was really a a different experience for those level ones, particularly. So you get a little bit more control over, over that as a faculty member. Absolutely. And some kids are just really, are, are, they're unique cases, right? So for example, I might spend all my kids, people might all go out on a one week level one, but not see a student using an AAC device, right? So I can be sure to build that into the curriculum and have a medically complex kid who uses an AAC device and use that in the curriculum so that I know that they've seen that and had that experience and had to critical think about that and problem solve. Gotcha. But how many, in terms of semi-case, how many different pediatric cases would you say that they have? Oh my goodness. They probably... I don't know if I'm stumping the band. They have, they have, they break them down to zero to three and then three to 21. And I probably, I, and they have, you can do part of assessments or you can do full assessments and they probably, I would guess about 15 and they're always coming out with new ones, which is really nice. Um, probably between 15 and 17 for me to choose from. And that's just for pediatrics. So on our, com- our community, our community-based class uses it. Community-based field works, even though OT, you know, came from a mental health background, those mental health field works and community-based field work experiences are, are hard to get, right? So there, is, there are some cases and that is used related to that area in our program also. Yeah, I just had somebody um, reach out from Nebraska today looking for some level one mental health for one of the programs that I'm affiliated with. So it was the, the person that runs our email was like, could you, what is this? What is this? And I was like, it's, it's hard. So 
maybe I'll tell them a little bit about video simulation as well. It is hard. It is hard. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. The video simulation can help fill that, fill that gap. Yeah. And so certainly during COVID, but even before COVID, there was a, a major shortage in fieldwork sites. And I remember I'm old. So maybe 10 or 15 years ago at an AOTA meeting, um, ACOAT had come and wanted to get people's uh, opinions about simulation specifically looking at level ones with the the issue of the shortage and especially in cities like St. Louis where there's multiple programs or Philadelphia or New York that have you know lots and lots of OT programs that are friendly uh, but in some some ways competing for level one and level two and now capstone placement so um, ACOAT now allows that so does SLU use simulation uh, as part of their level one field work to count those hours? So, so we do. So it, what was happening, like you talked well, like you talked about, like placement was getting tighter and tighter pre-COVID. And what it ended up, I feel like, following on is just the academic fieldwork coordinators were just like kind of told, like, figure it out, step it up, make more connections. But there's only so many connections to be made, right? And so COVID really kind of forced, forced that change and forced that, you know, it, it you know, during the thick of, during the thick of COVID, we were having a hard time getting our level two students placed and they really needed to be out there. So level ones essentially, essentially disappeared. So how do we promote, you know, using, how can we promote these critical thinking skills and, you know, um, assessment and intervention and that problem solving that comes with it when they cannot go out? So that's kind of when we started. Um, and we kind of thought, you know, oh, COVID, we kind of naively perhaps thought, oh, you know, COVID came and, you know, once we get, it was going to be two, was gonna be two, two weeks. And at the time we thought, oh my gosh, two weeks, how are we going to be home together for two weeks? You know, how many, how many years later? Yeah. Wash, wash the groceries when you bring them in the door. Totally. Don't leave your house. (laughs) It was a lot. Start your, start your, you know, the good good old days. So we were kind of thinking like, okay, so once we, once the vaccine rolls out, right. And once some of these restrictions lift, life will go back to normal. Um, And that is not, has not been our experience at SLU. There's kind of a second bump. So initially people were not, were taking limited level two students and no level one students because of COVID, right? But now post-COVID, Dennis, you had talked about the shift, how you had stopped teaching during COVID. I started, there's been a huge shift in the, in the workplace and people's work environments. And a lot of the sites that we have traditionally used are like, we are sorry, we cannot take any level one students because all of our therapists are brand new. Like they are new to our hospital. They are new to our pediatric clinic. We can't put that on them right now. So we're kind of dealing with a, a different issue. And then at the same time, sites are just getting so much more competitive to get with there being more programs and things like that. So we really had to look at creatively of how do we solve this problem and not just say the academic fieldwork coordinator needs to figure it out. How can we actually make some meaningful change, not burn out that academic fieldwork coordinator and um, do this in a meaningful way, right? We're not saying like, oh, well, let's scrap level ones completely or let's move all the level ones to, you know, a non-traditional site, which there's, you know, there's pros and cons to all of those, but how, how do we really kind of promote the student learning in pediatrics kind of, which also, you know, is my area or within community-based kind of in something that we can control and facilitate. Right. And I, and, and 
really simulation has been used um, even for clinical hours in nursing for, oh, I won't say, for at least 10 years, probably even longer <laughs> than that. And, right. um, and for physicians, they use simulation and have used simulation um, in both, both of those professions. Really, um, we love our nursing and our physician friends, but they often have more access to resources than for perhaps occupational therapy and occupational therapy assistant programs would have. So because of that, they've had um, a lot more years to, to really perfect that and have really good evidence that shows that um, in some ways simulation is a better teaching and learning method that you know students uh, in some ways, because they're exposed to more specific um, skills or getting or able to practice more specific skills or as you talked about being able to implement specific assessments with feedback um, and obviously um, simucase and other uh, um, products like simucase that provide that uh, that automatic feedback is very different you know than simulation maybe that they were doing 20 years ago so um, you know old, older therapists like myself that might be a little you know skeptical that they they need to still learn those you know, psychosocial skills and, you know, uh, to learn what it being a, an occupational therapist or an occupational therapy assistant entails, um, they're still going to have those experiences, but it's a nice way to be able to, in some ways, um, kind of control access uh, to um, what the students are able to, to see and, and to be able to learn. So how do the students react to the, these experiences? So, so, you know, students, well, the research so far has actually been pretty good. That's starting to come out as far as in the you know, OT is kind of new to using it. But as far as student satisfaction and perception, the, the research is looking pretty good. Duchesne has done some research and things like that with small studies. And we need continued research as we continue to use this more. Um, just per my students, you know, students often too, don't always know what they do or do not know. So it's kind of how you kind of sell it. They Originally, our OT students were like, what, we're not going on clinical? What are you talking about? How are we going to learn? But if you kind of or phrase it, well, you know, you'll be able to do this. If you went out on clinical, I don't know that you're going to have seen a Peabody, but here you get to do it and work through it. So, um, and even just, even just that, we know that students learn through hands-on right? Hands-on learning is the way to go. And um, traditional, you know, traditional lecture and lab, there's a place for it, but we really need to engage them more, right? When you're sitting in a, everybody's done a lecture and everybody's in that lecture hall and they, you know that the students are looking at their phone and they're studying for their other tests and they're online shopping. So how do we engage them? And that's with active learning experiences. And that's what these simulations really provide as an active learning experience. And, you know, we've known hands-on experiences are great forever, but they take they take so much time to develop, right? If you're if they're going out and collaborating and working in the community or you're bringing people in, they take so much time. And professors and people in academia, they are stretched thin. So how do we work smarter and not harder? And I do really think that these virtual simulation programs, they make it really easy to push in some hands-on learning opportunities and active engagement in the classroom for our students that in it without a huge time time commitment on the on the part of, of the professor that's rolling it out. They've really done a lot of the background work to make it easy to use. That's been a huge thing because it doesn't matter how great something is, if it makes it harder to work, it's not it's not gonna be sustainable. Not gonna be sustainable. Yeah, I just I remember there was a, a, a program I used to be affiliated with that had a really great neuro class that invite invited a lot of 
stroke survivors in in one particular lab that they would do, and it was it was exceptional. And I think the the students had great experiences, and the stroke survivors enjoyed coming in to tell their stories and to 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 go through assessments um, with them. But it what it, it was so much work. Um, it, we were affiliated with a um, a a lab that was doing ongoing stroke research and had access to you know, 100 different stroke survivors that if you wanted to have specific types of stroke folks come in, that you could do that. But that's not a situation that every program is going to have access to and was a ton of work and didn't happen during COVID. So I know that they had to figure out their other options, just like you did during COVID, to really look and see what that was like. And I, I think the active learning is such a key component of it. I remember, because I'm old, um, when I was... We used to, there was this video that we watched uh, at the university that I went to about how you should behave on a level one field work. And it really was your, your, so it was a simulation of what a patient, what a student should be. So this was cutting edge back in the 50s when I was in school. Um, so that, uh, you know, it was this video that we were supposed to watch that, you know, kind of taught us how we should behave as a level one student, which was that you were a fly on the wall in the back of the room. And if anyone interacted with you, you were to redirect them back to the therapist. Like it really was fully observational. And over the last 20 years, I think within the profession, we're trying to make level ones more and more hands-on. Um, but in some ways, simulation, like you can't sit in the back of the room when the simulation is asking you questions or when you have a parent that's yelling at you because you asked a dumb question. And uh, so I think in, in some ways, it skeptics can really see the the opportunity um, that SimuCase or other other uh, programs like it offer. I don't know if that I don't know if you got yelled at on your level ones not to interfere with things. You're younger than I am, so maybe you weren't you weren't yelled at for those. That's too funny that that was your level one experience because now you know so many programs required that you have so many observation hours already before you even apply to the program, right? Um, so that's kind of more the observation. And if I, my students that are on their level ones now, if they don't get to like actively do something, they're a little bit, you know, bummed out. But it does depend on their personality and the age of their professor. Some of them will go on level ones and get, you know, to be hands-on for every patient. And other people will go on hands on their level ones and be the fly on the wall, depending on the setting and what's going on. So then the simulation does really help equalize things, right? And what they have access to and putting their brain to use, putting that brain to use. And it's just sort sort of the nature, depending on what the um, the curriculum is and what the level one experiences are supposed to be that, you know, some may be in a, a, a situation with really sick, very um, acutely involved individuals that, you know, you want, the, you don't necessarily want the student to be live and, and in person. And do, do you guys have any, are there any NICU simulations yet or no? There's no NICU simulations, but that'll be, that'll be huge when they have that. Because every student I ever uh, helped to place wanted to, not every, but many of them wanted to be in the NICU for their level two field work. And my common line was, if you had a child uh, in the, <laughs> in a NICU, do you want a, you know, a level two student and week three, you know, doing intervention? And my thought was typically Abs. Not. Everybody is obsessed yeah. with NICU. Yeah, everybody. Uh, likes they the still NICU, are so. really into the NICU. Yes. So if yeah. Simi Case and, and is it's listening, not entry level it would practice be a, either. No, no, not even close. Um, so if Simi Case is listening. Maybe we could do a, a NICU one at, at some point because um, it is important. But you know, like uh, at at major hospitals, they're they're not going to let a 
you know, a licensed therapist that's been practicing in the hospital for three or four years treat independently for, you know, some or six months before they can do anything. So anyway, we just have to help students understand that. So anyway, part part of the part of the fun. Absolutely, absolutely, exactly. If if there is a NICU one, I would use I would use it. There you go. Uh, so in terms of COVID, did, were you, I forget, were you starting to use SimuCase before COVID and then it just kind of exploded and really um, kind of forced your hand to use more of the simulation or were you already kind of starting down that path um, within your curriculum? It had been it had been presented to us as something that we should explore by our speech language and communication science department, but there wasn't a lot of incentive to start it at the time um, because you know, we were just kind of, kind of status quo. So, so then COVID really forced our hand and said, so you need to come try to do something different. So, and then I'm relative, I've been at the, at SLU for three years. Then when I came on and took over my curriculum, the curriculum, um, the pediatric curriculum needed some shaking up the, the, you know, you teach something a long time, people get into patterns of how they teach it and what they think is right. And I was ready to shake it up. And so I was a good person that was so excited about this opportunity that how do we, how do we get more hands-on incorporated into the, the every day, the every week, the every month, the regular curriculum. And so it was, it was a perfect match for me coming in because yes, we're going to use, I think the original idea was to use it, you know, as a band-aid during COVID, but the benefits were so great that I saw that um, how could you use it and then take it away. So now we've adopted it as we do use it for field work, but we also use it to supplement our course teachings. Gotcha. So could you talk a little bit about how you used it? So was it a course redesign or um, how would you term sort of your freshening up of the pediatric curriculum that you did? Oh, yeah. Yes. So I, got, I can talk to two different things, Dennis. I guess I can talk about how did we use it explicitly as a level one and then how have I incorporated it into course design? So when we initially rolled it out, you know, all learning and teaching and everything evolves. When we originally used it, um, our students were assigned to, I think, four different cases related to four different areas. A couple were pediatrics, a couple were community-based health, things like that. They were kind of given an orientation. This is how you do the program. And then they went and they worked through the different simulations on their own. And then they did a debriefing with them. And that debriefing piece is critical, right? Because we can have send them out to do these things. But if you don't then discuss it and kind of problem solve and talk about strengths and weaknesses and how, where do we go next, it's not particularly helpful. And as they work through, as they work through the simulation, um, not only you can get a, you can get a grade for it. So you could use the case as, you know, and they can always retake it. So if they're working through it as a quiz or as a test, as a quiz, as a test, they can always work right back through it. So before they submit something for me, they need to have it. They need to have earned a 90% on it, or they need to go back and redo it. So um, that's how it was initially arranged. So they had four cases, they met and debriefed, you know, for each case and got feedback. As my course design, I've really kind of worked to kind of scaffold it throughout the curriculum. So I spoke about when I was teaching, when I teach ADLs, first we do it as a group and we look at the, we look at the video and we talk about different interventions that we've seen and different strategies the therapists use and where do we go next. And then we kind of build along that. And so then maybe they'll learn about the assessment, like the Peabody. There's so many different assessments that you can use. So I'll start with like an easy, short, you know, just a visual perceptual assessment, because that one's really easy for them to work through and very limited in scope before I look at a more holistic, you know, assessment that is looking at 
motor development and ADL development and sensory processing and, you know, all of it. So I can enable scaffold tech. And then we'll build upon it. So, for example, if they have done a whole, their final project for my class is they have to do a full evaluation on SIMU case, which is a case that looks at, you know, ADLs and um, sensory and motor, and they have to go through the SIMU case of it. And then from the evaluation, they then have to develop a plan, an intervention plan, and develop out goals and interventions from it. So then we build on what we've used through the simulation and expand upon it. And it's been really, really positive. And I found that um, some professors in my program really like, you know, cumulative tests and things like that. But I have found that the community the 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 final project of them working through this full assessment and developing the intervention has really um, really developed their skills in a really nice way and really promoted you know critical thinking thinking and things that are sometimes hard to develop in in a multiple choice test and things like that absolutely so do they in terms of the the simulations are they re- learning sort of discrete skills as well and I know um, so transfers those sorts of things are not quite as um, I guess handling is more important in, in the pediatric courses that you're teaching. But um, how are you are you able to assess those kinds of skills through simulation, or um, how does that fit into what you're doing in terms of um, just kind of that those really kind of discrete physical skills that that a therapist or an assistant needs to be able to um, demonstrate? Yes, they're often asked those via questions during the simulation if that makes sense, those discrete skills. So if they're looking at considering, you know, safety of a child or, you know, what type of grasp was being used or what type of communication did the child use or what kind of behavior, all those things are kind of asked throughout throughout questions. So they'll watch the little video clip that might be, you know, one minute and then answer very specific questions related to that. And the questions are a variety of things. From you know assessment to intervention to um, safety to things like that. Nice. And then in terms of like you said that they're, you know, if they're writing goals, if they're um, doing a, a note, how does that? Do you get access to that? Do you grade it? Does, is there some artificial intelligence within SimuCase that gives them feedback for that, or how does that work? All of all of the above. So it'll give them. They'll sometimes have to, so the the, uh, simulation, what it will have is some of the questions will be multiple choice, and then some will be open-ended and then computer answered. So they might have to identify, you know, write a goal, or they might have to develop, you know, treatment things to focus upon, and they and that's kind of all open-ended. And the program does all that for you. I can go back in and look at it, but the program will actually score all that on, and their competence at that. I then just choose to take it to the next, sometimes to the next level of, on, on their work outside the course and kind of building a more, uh, expanding upon what they've done on this in new case. Cool. That's like a dream come true for faculty, right? In terms of, uh, not that we don't love grading. That's why it's, to- it's totally working. We love grading. I tell my students all the time, I said, I love you. I love teaching you and I hate grading your work. <laughs> I know it's important, but oh, it's so time consuming. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it is, it really is. I really feel like it's this working smarter, not harder. That's that's all important. Um, so the, my, my greatest contribution to uh, teaching within occupational therapy, um, I, I spun it around and I made the students do lots of work so I wouldn't have to do quite as much, but I don't know. Do you use portfolios at all as part of, of what you're doing with SLU? 
um, and the work that you're doing in terms of, you know, we used back in the day, we used to have like, you know, a sample of a, of a good, you know, Peabody score or the, the good write up for a Peabody. But I also helped to teach an entry level course that um, was, you know, a lot of that, those discrete physical skills, like, you know, taking a blood pressure and doing transfers and, you know, manual muscle testing and all those sorts of things. Um, and, and going through various grips um, <laughs> and pinches. And so that was a portfolio that students had to, um, you know, do, I, I forget how many, maybe there were 60 different things that they had to videotape themselves doing and they hated it. Um, however, uh, in terms of being, having to physically practice those skills really helped them to build that. And then, and, and I always, um, I had a random assignment of, I would check like three of them, uh, to, for competency. And then the rest, they was just on their own. So they hated it. Um, but it worked really, really, really well. So, uh, the more work we can get students doing. Totally. That, and they often hate the things that are very important for them to do, right? <laughs> but yeah, so when you talk about grasp, so like on the simu case, it'll say like, oh, what type of grasp pattern did you observe? And so then they'll have to choose that out. So, <laughs> but we did not have, we did not have portfolios. We did not. You can add this for next year. You can actually, um, they would have to go through <laughs> and say which each one of them was, but they would have to demonstrate it. And it was just like, uh, some were pretty fun with that in terms of, I remember one of them, one year they were, it was always in the fall. And so they went to one of the hill days. And so they, they did like a, a video of um, various grasps and pinches that they used during the hill day. So it was kind of fun. So they- Oh, and, nice. That is kind of fun. I let them do group. I would let them do groups, but they, they had to be like extra cool to get points or otherwise graded them down pretty low. Um, but this in particular, I remember one that was, that was really cool. So just a nice way to spin that around uh, so that we have students doing more work because that's what we're all about as faculty is getting students to do more work. I'm kidding, but um, I always said the more that I, the more I, the more I talk, the less students learned, you know, so it really, we're an applied profession and the more we can get students doing um, the better off that's, that's going to be uh, for everybody. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how other faculty are using um, simulation as part of their courses as well? Absolutely. So I was kind of, since I was that kind of taking over academic fieldwork coordinator during COVID. <laughs> the guinea pig. Exactly. Oh God. And also redesigning the pedi pediatric class. I was, I was like all in. So, um, selling it to the other groups, but we really have expanded it. So they now, our students are in the graduate program for three semesters. And so in the initial, the initial semester, they have it in a class called clinical conditions, right? And clinical conditions is exactly what it sounds like, like learning about different conditions and what you might do with that. And so kind of like you mentioned with the stroke and, and she does bring in some guest speakers to speak, but that's hard to plan and things like that. So for each clinical condition, maybe not everyone, but she can say, oh, here is an example of a person who is living with, you know, this diagnosis or that diagnosis. And not only, um, you know, lived experience speakers are so powerful um, to use sometimes, but also they're, they're, they're time intensive also, right? You might not always have a whole day, a whole lecture to devote to one diagnosis or things like that. So it kind of en enables her to use, you know, video example and things like that, video simulation for that class. 
So they get it in that class. And then they get it in both of the pediatric courses in different intensities. And then our mental health class, our classes use it for looking at task analysis because, you know, we can, we can task, and if we're talking about, you know, activity analysis, occupational analysis, we can look at our friend, you know, jumping rope or wrapping a present or doing whatever, but looking at a, you know, a client doing that task is going to be much different. And what does that look like? And where does the problem occur? So we, it's used there. And then it's used in, in mental, mental health and community-based practice. Community-based practice primarily because, um, like we talked about, there's not a ton of sites always, and we can't always control the experience our students will have at those community-based sites. So how can we tie, tie in some of those video-based simulations for um, different individuals with different mental diagnosis in community-based practice? So uh, so that we have multiple classes using it now. Yeah, and, and mental health settings especially, there was always, you know, we had a, a, a spattering of students that would be able to be with an OT in a mental health setting. But as you said, many are in community-based settings for the level ones um, without an OT there or in a non-traditional setting um, with limited OT there. And the, to be able to see an OT actually practicing in mental health, I think is a really um, wonderful thing for them to see because I think, I always wondered that a lot of level ones when they're, we love our rec therapy friends, um, but we provide different types of assessment intervention than, than other professions do. And so, you know, how do we really see what the role of occupational therapy is? And as you said, a, a part of our practice that's been there for a long, long time. And um, we just want to, you know, continue and, and hopefully continue to expand that. Um, do you do you use it as, um, I don't know if you have checkoffs, because um, I, I, I think um, that can be really useful because, you know, students are busy and so they're in the midst of their pediatric coursework and then they go to their you know mental health coursework or then they go to their uh, physical rehabilitation coursework and maybe they've forgotten some of the things that they've done can students go back and review simu case um, maybe to prepare for level twos or um, how else are you using that as part of your curriculum they have access to like all to all of them so if they want to go, so for example, and it will say kind of what the skill is working on. So if, for example, they're getting ready to go out on level twos and the therapist says, these are the different assessments we do. And they've never seen a, you know, a TVPS or something like that. And, oh, look, there's one on Simu case. They can go on and look at it because they have access to all of those. And actually, because there are so many um, different ones to choose from, sometimes I won't have thought about like, oh, for example, I had we have a spe have speech language come and talk about AAC use and things like that. But I never really considered what if we use a simu case for that until there was there was a virtual case there that we could use to kind of expand that knowledge. So so students have access to all of them to kind of go through. And you don't there's different ways you can use it. You don't always have to do it in test mode. You can do it in learning mode. You can um, just do it in video. So there's different ways that you can use it within the various programs. Gotcha. Is there like a checkoff before they go to level two field work or that's kind of up to the individual student? We, we uh, had two checkoffs. They had a, um, a multiple choice test that they did um, that was ridiculously uh, involved. Um, but then there was also um, physical checkoffs that they had to go through and, and just kind of rewind um, some of the, the physical skills that they learned as part of the program. And I don't know if you do that or if that's something that, that um, different programs might be able to use SimuCase for as sort of a 
a refresher for them before they leave. Yes. You know what? That's not actually something our program does, but might be something worth considering because they have checkoffs, you know, over the course of the, over the course of the course, as far as, you know, transfers or whatever it may be, but it's not right before going out on level twos. And it hasn't been an issue really because our students have been pretty successful on level twos, but something to consider to refresh for them um, just to kind of increase that confidence is because there is a lot of, you know, anxiety and uncertainty before they head out on that level two. Um, but I haven't, I haven't used it that way, but that would actually be an interesting way. Yeah. And even um, like, it's just a nice thing to, uh, I don't know if they're showing their, their level two fieldwork educators, what simu case is to be able to, to see, you know, some of the learning that was one of the parts of the portfolio that was useful was, you know, um, you know, a student that said we never learned a sliding board transfer or whatever it was, you could literally pull up the video of them doing a sliding board transfer. Not that it was used in a punitive way, but, you know, just sometimes students uh, are, all of our curriculum are just so jam packed uh, with lots of, of information. And it seems like we're adding um, more parts of, uh, of, to our curriculum each year and we're not taking anything away. So, um, you know, just those are, are things that, and as you said, that the access that the student has to SimuCase kind of across the um, their time uh, as a student is um, is really great. Now, so how does that, how does your program handle um, funding SimuCase? Is that something that students are re- required to pay for just as they would be required to use a textbook for, those sorts of things? That's exactly it. It's tied into their kind of curricular costs, like the te- like a textbook would would be or things like that. So they kind of pay. So the student kind of pays for that that piece. Exactly. So actually, the more cor- it, it benefits them, the more courses that utilize it, because then they you know get more more out of out of their spending. Uh, but you were speaking about um, I had a bunch of new I'll say new graduates because they graduated maybe five or six years ago that were coming back and were helping with something at SLU and I was talking about the pediatric class and I was showing them the the you know the virtual simulation that we're using and they were like blown away they were like these students have no idea how lucky they are to have this and you know once the students have it they're kind of like oh you know whatever like it's fine but to actually but the students that had graduated before that did not have access to this virtual simulation were really jealous and um really excited for how they felt the students would be much better prepped um going out into the world and things like that because of the the virtual simulation you know experiences that they've been able to have yeah, absolutely. I wish, as I said, I wish I had access to it um, for sure. Now, are you also using this with other, like, are there, are you using it with, you know, the speech or PTs or other professions within your, um, within SLU to do some interprofessional collaboration? And does SimuCase have specific interprofessional collaboration opportunities within their cases? So, so we're just starting to look at that. And the reason is, so our students take this interprofessional education course actually and it's you know a case study and there's you know medicine and nursing and you know PT and OT and all these disciplines on it and our students always and it sounds in theory like a great class right and our students always give us a ton of feedback like that the medical students just take it over and that they still don't know what OT is and that the cases aren't very you know applicable to OT and things like that they're like Okay, same class. They say it every year. But we're really looking at doing is expanding, really looking at 
using the simulation because some of the simulations have multiple disciplines on them. So for example, we had a speaker from the speech language program and she was in and she was like, oh, I'm going to show you a video of this person, Gabriel, who uses an AAC. I'm like, oh, this is great because they are actually going to do that case in two weeks. And so then they can see this, what speech is doing what OT is doing or what PT is doing, what OT is doing. The next step, and I'm looking at working with this with the, our, the person in charge of um, PT and the pediatrics is, what does it look like if we actually do the case collaboratively? So have the students do it and then debrief it in a collaborative way. So that's kind of how we're looking at taking it the next step forward. Because it's one thing, you know, to do the virtual and see what the speech does and see what the OT is. It's another thing then to debrief it together and really talk about that, especially in OT because our students, and you probably found this too, sometimes they, they struggle in knowing, you know, they want their lane, right? This is where I stay and this is what I work at. And if I'm working with feeding, what is me and what is speech? And if I'm working, you know, on with a kid with cerebral palsy, what is PT and what is me? Because we mesh into a lot of different areas. Um, so helping them kind of brainstorm, really, it just comes from how you see the child is different and that has value. You view that child differently if you're a PT or an OT or a speech path just because of how the theories and things you've been taught. So I think that debriefing will help them better understand that piece. Yeah, and I, I it was and so there's great opportunities in interprofessional collaboration and I think OT PT speech, we kind of we get each other, we know we what each other does, but you're right. When you get into the other professions, there was one I was in with dentistry on a regular basis, and like every case study, there was like <laughs> exactly, an, you know, an exactly, or, or something like that. It was like, you know, okay. So now I, I know if someone has a feeding issue, I guess I should maybe refer them to a dentist. Um, but you're right. Like to be able to to see us all on equal footing uh, can be a little bit challenging. And I don't know if Simucase has, is in the, the medical side of things, but it's a nice way to, um, when you build those together, because it always seemed like there were things that were cobbled together to keep OTPT and speech happy um, with the with the other professions, um, for sure. A absolutely. There, the IPE, I feel like there might be a little bit of, um, you know, hierarchy of what's the most important. And the therapies tend to feel that they're at the bottom of that, you know, which is not always, which is not true. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, you know, do you want to, uh, yes, it's all about quality of life, I think, in terms of what we're, we're trying to support people to do. Absolutely. Um, so do you, do you feel like your students or have your students felt, I guess these, the feedback from the graduates is that your students should be better prepared for their level twos, but are you getting some of that feedback? I don't know how long you've been using the SIMU case as part of, if you started in 2019, um, so are you starting to see now some feedback from your students on their level twos. You said they were always doing well, but um, maybe the fieldwork educators feel they're a little better prepared or not uh, in terms of having access to these cases. The fieldwork educators have been, have felt like they've been better prepared in more, most recent years. And the students do, I, I think a lot of it is that confidence that they just feel a little bit more confident because they've, they've actually you know, worked a student through this assessment or through this intervention or, you know, or they've seen multiple students, you know, working on this through the clinical simulation. And so I think that increased confidence, maybe, you know, not when they're walking through the door to the clinic, but once they're in the clinic and they're like, oh yeah, I've seen this, I am comfortable with this. So that increased confidence and the feedback from our level one and level twos has been more positive in the past few years, which has been great. 
Nice. Well, and I, I would think too that even like it's a, a value added perhaps for, you know, for a large school district or a hospital that you're working with that, you know, is doing a lot of Peabody's and, you know, OTs are our own little interesting breeds sometimes to be able to have a, a group go through a Peabody of experienced clinicians to go through and, and say that, so this is what the Peabody says the score is. This is what the score is that you're actually giving them. And it's in the book and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes it's nice to get that, you know, the, um, you know, to get everybody, all the raters on the same page to be able to, um, to be able to do that. I don't know if that's something that you're able to offer. And I don't know what the licensure is for, for semi-case and that sort of stuff, but to be able to show a group of, of practicing therapists how to, how to review a, an assessment in that way. Oh, we haven't used it in that way, but it's something to kind of consider like how they, how they use that. So. Cause it might be something, you know, just to, as you think about like, and is the COPM on the, on semi-case? The COPM is on yeah. semi-case. I have not used it, but it is on there. Gotcha. So that would be a really interesting thing. I know um, at Cincinnati Children's, I think they do the COPM with every, um, everyone that they, they uh, evaluate. So it'd be kind of interesting because for me anyway, the COPM has a little bit more variability. I'm sure our Canadian friends, if anyone's listening, I'm sorry I said that. Um, but, but it might be interesting to see, you know, how is, you know, because they're using that data um, kind of collectively. So I might take that back home to my, uh, my OT friends at Cincinnati Children's to give them that idea to, to look and see how they're using that. Um, anything else you'd like to share about kind of your experience with simulation or anything that surprised you um, or things maybe that you'd like to see in the future for clinical simulation? So I've been, I guess I was prior to, you know, prior to COVID and using it, I, I, I wasn't super interested in like the benefits of it or things like that. I thought, you know, you have to be in person in order to develop these skills. And I will say that using it and really seeing the students change and how they interact with, with how they my ability to kind of control their experience and provide them with more meaningful experiences and how that enhances their clinical thinking has been really powerful. And so I will never go back to not not using it. I'll use it in all my classes to provide more, you know, active engagement and active learning as experiences. And I love that um, they're always adding new cases, things. So like, you know, different niches that I haven't used before. And so I love that piece of it. So I would really encourage anybody. And again, that piece that it, it, it's so easy to use and so easy to incorporate into what you're actively doing, actively already teaching and trying to support. So I would support anybody in exploring it and using it across disciplines, across classes within their, within their curriculum, because it really is really powerful. Yeah. How was the onboarding for you to get used to, to learn SimuCase? Did they was there kind of video support for to be able to do that or how did you kind of get up and started or was it there was a lot of support it it take it it takes a, it one you know we had a one person in our at that time that was really in charge of really all the onboarding for it and she really laid it out for us very well um, but when then, but it, but she had a lot of support from the organization. And since, since then, once you're, once you kind of, and like anything, the more you use it, the better, the faster you get and the better and more comfortable you've got with it. But it really, that onboarding is not hard. And then, you know, kind of like anything, when you develop out a class, the first time you develop it, it's so much work. And the second time a little, you, you learn and kind of tweak it. And um, now it's, it's kind of very easy to kind of take and, you know, drop into different courses and things like that. Well, good. So we, uh, if SimuCase is listening, we've already talked about the NICU. Um, any other types of uh, scenarios that you'd like to see them do? I would love to see um, a cerebral palsy in a young child. 
because you can talk about, you know, you can talk about tone and it's hard to get kiddos, you know, in because it's during the school day and things. You can talk about tone and how it impacts movement, but to really see it is really challenging. And I have not found, I have not found anywhere via, you know, semi case or via, you know, anywhere on the internet. And I've tried it, 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 nothing on YouTube, nothing. And I found one and he was, it was a, it, or if it's on YouTube, it's not OT. It's like PT. So that of a CP with a younger child, that would be my, my recommendation. All right. Well, if Simucase is listening, uh, maybe that'll be coming out here in the next year or so. So I'm not sure how long it takes them to develop stuff, but but there you go. We, we're putting the, the call out. So, Well, uh, Dr. Sarah Zimmerman from SLU, thank you so much for uh, sharing your experience uh, with clinical simulation with us. It was a very interesting conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dennis. I appreciate it.